0: Well, if you've been with us at all uh, since really the beginning of Lent, we've been in a sermon series that we're calling We Believe. We're walking through each phrase of the Apostles' Creed and looking at what it tells us about the big story of our lives and our world and how appropriate. I just am so, I'm so grateful that we're doing this right now in this really weird season because we can just get lost in the everyday details of the struggles of our lives right now and to stick a big step back and get some perspective To see the big picture about the story that God is writing in the whole history of the world and the history of the universe, and that we get to be a part of that story. So, today, we're really, it's the first time in the Creed that we're not talking about something that has happened in the past, but we're beginning to anticipate something that will happen in the future. And so, the, the phrase that we're looking at today is the phrase, He will come to judge the living and the dead. It's the great truth that Christians affirm that Jesus, who is ascended in heaven and is at the right hand of the Father reigning, will one day return to earth uh, in his bodily form as judge, and everyone who has died and everyone who is living will be judged by Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, seriously, man, do we need to be talking about this right now? I mean, my life is heavy enough as it is. Do you really want me to be thinking right now about the last... Judgment. Um, well, listen, friends. Here, here's what's the good news: is that as you can see from the reading that Lauren just read, Paul is bringing this up not to not to give people heartburn, but to encourage them. He says in verse 18, "Therefore, encourage each other with these words." The truth is that for the Christian, the last judgment uh, is not something of terror; it is something of great encouragement and great joy. But it takes a little bit of unpacking and explaining. To, to understand why that is so. So let's look at that together today. I just want to talk about three simple things today. First of all, the need for judgment, uh, why we need it. Uh, second, we'll look at the problem of judgment. And finally, the gift of judgment. So, first, let's look at the need for judgment. We need judgment. Now, you might say, man, I need judgment like I need a hole in the head. Why? <laughs> what do you mean I need? Judgment. Well, here's why. The, the reason why we as human beings need the idea of a final judgment is because without a last judgment, we are living meaningless lives and our world has no hope. Let me illustrate what I mean. When, when I was a kid, uh, my dad loved long car trips, and uh, so every summer we would have some destination. And he would pack up our station wagon and we would just get in the car and start driving. And these were not just like a little trip to, you know, a couple hours to Aunt Lulu's house. It was, you know, days and days of driving and driving and driving and driving. And, and, and sometimes it was pretty miserable. I mean, we'd drive him through Kansas or, you know, a human in the car. My, sister, my little sister's in the back seat. She's crossing over that invisible line that I drew. I mean, it was just kind of miserable at times. And yet what got us through was the knowledge that we were going somewhere that we were going to the Grand Canyon or we were going, we had a destination. The destination made the journey meaningful. Now imagine kids, hey kids, I know some of you have been on a car trip like this before. Now imagine if you're driving with your family and you're driving and driving and what's the question that that you always ask your, your mom and dad when you're driving? What do you ask? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now imagine if you said, Hey, dad, hey, mom, are we there yet? And what if they said, actually, we're not going anywhere. We're just driving. We're just going to keep driving and driving and driving and driving and driving. driving. We're just going to keep on driving. Now, how would you feel if they said that? You would feel like you were going to get sick, right? You would feel like you were going to go crazy. Because we need a destination if our trip, if our journey is going to be meaningful. And that's let's apply that to this is that if we want to live be living meaningful lives that have any significance, if we want our our journeys to matter, if we want our behavior to matter, if we want our choices to matter, if we want our families, our loves, our lives to matter, then we need a destination. We need a conclusion. We need to know that we're not just wandering aimlessly in the world but that we're adding, actually heading somewhere. You see, the Bible uh, begins with a picture of the way that the world was supposed to be. It's a world without poverty or hunger, a world without injustice, a world without uh, deadly pathogens, a world without unemployment, a world without death. It, It was a world in which humans and creation were flourishing altogether. But something terrible happened. Evil and sin entered into the world and as, as a result, things are not the way that they are supposed to be. And, and you know that. Everybody, even if you're not a Christian right now, who, could not, who, could, who would deny right now that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be? And we also, I think, know deep down, now more than ever, that we cannot make the world the way that it's supposed to be. I mean, look at human history. Look at us with all of our intelligence and all of our technology and capabilities. We human beings cannot make the world perfect. There's just too much corruption and too much selfishness and too much violence and, and too much cruelty. We are just not going to heal the world ourselves. If the world is going to be saved it's going to have to be saved by another. We, are need, we need to be rescued. And so when we say in the creed, he will come to judge the living and the dead, what we're saying is there is someone coming. The one who can save. The one who can heal. The one who can restore creation back to its intended purpose. And that's who we're waiting for. Jesus, the king, the judge, the one who will come. And he will restore and heal. You know, Paul Paul's using some, some really fascinating imagery. If you look here in verses 17 and 18, and he talks about how the, 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 the souls of the dead will descend with Jesus from heaven, and their bodies will rise up from the grave, and those who are living will all meet Jesus and the in the air. And you have to be careful about interpreting this too literally because he's using this highly symbolic apocalyptic language. And yet it's pretty clear that that Paul is drawing from an ancient tradition that when a king would return to his city after a military victory, as he was approaching the city, the people in the city would come out of the city to meet him. And they would be clapping their hands and singing and, and playing their instruments. And they would meet the king and then parade with him back into the city in a parade of triumph. And that's the image that Paul is using here. This is not some rapture that he's describing where we fly away to be in heaven. He is describing the king of heaven returning to earth to unite heaven and earth. And we are joining that celebration with him as he heals and restores creation. He is coming, and he will make things well again. But here's the thing. If Jesus the judge is going to come and make things right, then he's got to do some judging. He's got to do some sorting. He's got to do some weighing. He's got to discern what is a part of his kingdom and what isn't. And that's why there's so much language in the Bible about the judge sorting and discerning and dividing. And we have these metaphors like he will divide the sheep from the goats. He will divide wheat from the weeds. He will divide the harvest from the chaff. Jesus will judge everyone who's living and everyone who's dead. And this is where I think you feel a little uncomfortable and you might say, well, you know, I, I'm not comfortable with this kind of God, this God of judgment. My God is a God of grace and forgiveness. And that, you know, my God is too. And yet, Let me just suggest this to you that a God who doesn't bring judgment isn't really good. A God who just allows evil and oppression to just continue uh, unchecked is not a good God. Just like a farmer who allows weeds to infiltrate his harvest is not a good farmer. Goodness and justice require judgment for it to be real. And if you have trouble with this, put yourself in the shoes of someone who's oppressed Elizabeth, there's a, there was a young woman named Elizabeth who w- lived in the countryside in a Southeast Asian country, and she worked hard for her family, and she had dreams of going to a local city for university. And when she was 16 years old, Elizabeth was kidnapped, uh, enslaved, and forced into work in a brothel in a nearby city. And she was there for a long time, suffering without help. And International Justice Mission, IJM, found out about this brothel. They found out about her plight and the plight of these other young women. And they figured out a way to purchase her freedom. And when they went in to rescue her on her day of liberation, they went into Elizabeth's little room where she was being held, her cell, essentially. And there on the wall of her room, she had written in her own native tongue, the words of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. See, friends, there's a lot of people in our world, millions, billions in our world, for whom life is not comfortable. Life is just full of death and suffering and oppression and injustice day after day. And so for people like them, for people like Elizabeth, it is very good news that God is coming to judge evil and injustice. If there is no judgment day, if there is no day when God will come to set things right, then this brokenness is pointless. We've got to know that God cares about oppression. He cares about injustice. He cares about... Uh, about abuse he cares about suffering and that one day he is going to set things right and because of judgment we know it's true history has a destination history has a conclusion history will not end with the destruction of the earth the triumph of evil the elimination of humanity history ends with the restoration of all things when jesus comes to finally judge and heal this is why we need judgment Without it, we live lives of meaninglessness, and our world has no hope. But there's a problem. There's a problem of judgment. That's my next point. Because we've just said we need it if we're going to have any personal meaning, but at the same time, judgment day is terrifying, right? It should be. Uh, You see that Paul mentions in chapter 5, verse 2, the day of the Lord that will come suddenly and bring destruction. He is drawing from Old Testament imagery here. Day of the Lord was an Old Testament phrase that was used in many, many, many of the prophets. Here's prophet Amos speaking about it. He says, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Woe to you who long. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake Bite him. Not, not, a very comfort, not, not the kind of verse you memorize and t- say to yourself as you're going to sleep <laughs> at night. Um, this, this is pretty concerning. It's, in fact, Amos, the prophet, was speaking to God's people, saying, oh yeah, you guys are excited that God is going to come and judge your enemies? Well, hey man, don't be so excited, because that same God that is going to come and judge your enemies is going to judge you. That same judgment that has come upon the wicked is coming upon you. So be afraid. And you see, the judgment that, that we talk about, friends, it's very tempting for us to think that this is gonna come upon other people, the people that are evil, the people that you don't like, the people that are our enemies. We smugly let ourselves off the hook, but the Bible doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. You'll know that Jesus speaks about judgment a lot and his most severe warnings about judgment are not against the so-called bad people, but are against the good people, the people who look squeaky clean on the outside, the people who appear to have their lives together. The Bible says it's not just the evil out there that God will judge, but it's the evil in here, in us, the good people, that Judgment Day is very bad news for everyone, bad and good. Now, this may strike you as, a little shocking. I mean, you might say, well, man, listen, I, I know occasionally I screw up or I sin or I lie or lose my temper, but I'm not enslaving people. I'm not murdering people. I'm not embezzling money. I mean, come on, man. How can God do that? Well, listen, it all depends on who you're comparing yourself to. Uh, Nikki Gumbel, I once saw use this illustration, a pastor in in Britain. Imagine, let's just imagine for a second, try to think of the very best human being that you know of. Who is the very best human being that you know of? Maybe, uh, maybe Mother Teresa or your grandma, you know, someone up here. Mother, very best human being. Now, think about the very worst human being. Who's the very worst human being you can think of? Maybe Hitler or your boss or, you know. Someone like that, okay? So, so we've got this spectrum of goodness and evil, right? The whole human race, the very best, the very worst. Now, where do you find, where do you think you can land on this spectrum? Where do you land? Here? 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 I mean, maybe you might at least be above the mean and you might be feeling kind of good about yourself. But here's the problem. Where is God on this spectrum? Here, here, no. God is so off the spectrum, you can't even see the line. And that's the problem. See, the standard, God's standard is not Mother Teresa. His standard is his own uh, infinite holiness. His standard is perfection. His standard is his own righteous character. That's what the Bible means when Paul says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short Of the glory of God It's not like we're just like a bit short It's that the gap between even the very best person That has ever lived and God himself Is like an infinite chasm That even the best person Cannot stand before him And furthermore We know that God doesn't even really care About behavior that much That what God looks at as evidence from Jesus warnings of the good people Is that God cares about the heart He judges the secrets Of every person's heart He doesn't just look at what we do he looks at why we do it. He will judge us on the basis of our, of our motives, not just the deeds itself. He knows us totally. We can hide nothing from him. There is no secret in your heart, no terrible secret within you that you can keep from him. So the problem, friends, it's not so simple as God will judge the evil people, but will be saved. No, the evil is within It's like what that famous uh, Russian novelist Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said. He said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The wheat and the weeds is in here. The sheep and the goats are in here. And so before him, no one can stand. There is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. There is no one who does good. No one will be declared righteous. No one will get through. Every single one of us is in trouble. It's a big problem. So you see the predicament that we're in. We need a judgment day because without it, the world has no hope. But we can't stand, withstand a judgment day because no one can measure up. There is no hope if there is no judgment day, but there is no hope if there is a judgment day. Do you you see the predicament? So what do we do? Well, thankfully, that's not the end of the sermon. There's one last little point here, and that is the gift of judgment, the gift of judgment. Look, Paul is writing to his friends, and he's trying to comfort them in all of their troubles and difficulties And strangely, the comfort that he offers them is judgment day. (laughs) He says this in verses 9 to 11 For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another. And build one another up. Paul is saying something remarkable. He's saying that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, Judgment Day can actually be a day of joy and freedom and something that we look forward to. How can that be? Well, it's all because of this simple phrase that you see there in the middle that phrase, He died for us. This is what makes Christianity so incredibly distinct among the world religions. You know, all the world religions have some concept of judgment day, but Christianity is the only one in which the judge himself is judged. He died for us. Who is the he in that phrase? He died for us. It is the judge, the one who is coming to Judge with all the power in the universe, the one who's going to judge the nations, that person is the one who died. That person is the one, as we said a few weeks ago, descended into hell. That person is the one who bore the full judgment of the sin of humanity. It's, imagine a scene in which The judge is sitting up on the bench in his robes and he slams the gavel down and pronounces the verdict of guilt. And then he takes off of his robes and steps off the bench and goes down into the prisoner dock and puts on the cuffs and allows himself to be led away to execution. This is what Jesus has done. The judge judged in our place. And so what's amazing is for those who trust in Christ, Your judgment has already happened. It's in the past. The punishment has already been served. It's like you show up for your trial knowing that you're guilty and no one's there. The court's adjourned. The trial's already happened. Someone's already served the sentence. You're completely free. There's nothing left to do. The judge has been judged in our place. That's why Paul can say, encourage one another with these words, because for the day for us, judgment day can be a day of light and not darkness, a day of joy and not terror. I love uh, the words of Heidelberg uh, here, the catechism. It says this, what comfort does the return of Christ give you to judge the living and the dead? And it says this, that in all affliction and persecution, I may await with head held high, the very judge from heaven, who has already submitted himself to the judgment of God for me and has removed all the curse from me. Thanks be to God. So let's just uh, apply this real quick here at the end. What is this what difference should this make in the way that we live? Well, first it should if you really get this, you will know that you are free because judgment is behind you. You know, I met a couple years ago I met with a man who was in his 80s and he was thinking a lot about his own death and he was very worried. He was full of unrest. He had He had no peace. uh, Because even though he had trusted in Jesus, um, he could not shake all of the mistakes he had made in his life. He had been a bad father and a bad husband. He had made a whole lot. He had a lot of regrets. uh, And he just felt like that his faith was not strong enough, that he didn't believe enough, that he had too many doubts. And he was just shattered as he was thinking about dying, thinking about facing the judge. And You know, that may not be your situation, that may be a bit extreme, and yet I do think that many of us, I know that I do, often walk around with this kind of deep subterranean feeling of guilt and shame that you just haven't measured up, and that you don't have what it takes, and that you've not hit the standard somehow. And you know, in these times of quarantine when the worst of ourselves are coming out, you might especially be feeling a sense of shame and guilt and condemnation right now. And so I, I would want to say to you what I said to that man, friend, stop looking at yourself and your own behavior and start looking at Jesus, the one who's been judged in your place. But because by looking at him, you see your trial is over and you're free and you're forgiven. There's no wrath left for you. It's all fallen on Jesus. So you don't have to worry about judgment Anymore. You don't have to worry about the judgment in the future. You don't have to worry even about the judgment today. I mean, in some ways, we all face little mini judgment days every day, constantly assessed by our performance and our appearance and our reputation and our productivity and, you know, how many likes you get on some posts that you make. But to be in Christ means the trial, the most important trial is Over, There is nothing left to prove. There is nothing left to earn. You are finally free. You're free. There's judgments behind you. You know, this also means you can be a deeply humble person. In my opinion, the most miserable people in the world are religious people who do not understand grace. Because religious people who don't understand grace are essentially always trying to climb the behavioral ladder, to prove how good they are. And then they also must judge everyone who is below them to justify their own position on the curve. But see, friends, when you finally begin to grasp grace, you realize that this whole thing is a sham, that you're, you're off the curve entirely, that in the end, you're not judged by your behavior. You're judged by the merits and the accomplishment of of Jesus Christ, and that's already a finished work, and so you're not even on the curve anymore, and so it sets you free. You can finally admit your screw-ups, admit your mistakes, admit your failures. You don't have to be defensive anymore, and you don't, have to be, you don't have to judge anybody else because you know that you're right there with them, deserving every bit as much of judgment as anyone else. And so knowing that judgment is behind you sets you free. On the other hand, it also means, if you grasp this, that you're focused, you're focused because you know that judgment is ahead. Even though Christ in Christ our judgment has already occurred, we also know that the judge is coming to set things right, and that should affect the way that we live. Paul says in verses 5 and 6, You are children of light. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so don't be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake, sober, and alert. I, th- I think I may have told you this story before, but let me tell you one of my favorite stories about the Queen of England. In 1981, the Queen was traveling. It was Christmas time, and the Queen was traveling from one of her estates back to Buckingham Palace in London. And on her way, as she traveled in her motorcade through the countryside, a huge blizzard hit. And the the whole motorcade had to stop, and they were stranded. They couldn't go back. And so they ended up deciding, hey, we've got to find a place to stay right here, right now. And so there was a little pub on the side of the road, and the security guards went up to talk to the owner of the pub. The owner of the pub was sitting inside there with his wife, and they walked in, and the security guard asked, do you have any rooms to let for tonight? They didn't say, what, for. And, and the, the owner of the pub just laughed. He said, no, mate, we haven't rented any rooms for years. And the guard said, well, could we just have one room and the, the owner of the pub said, no, no, mate. We're, I mean, I got a big family. We're already a bit crowded here. And the guard replied, let me say, I think you should reconsider. And the man said, let me say, I think you are being a bit pushy. And they went back and forth. And then suddenly the door opens and in steps Queen Elizabeth. And there was a shocked silence. And then the wife of the poem owner cried, oh my Lord, I should have cleaned the carpets. (laughs) So friends, that's what Paul is saying. He is saying, look, look, the king, at any moment the door will open and he will walk through. And so he's on his way. And so the way you live matters. Clean the carpets, repent of your sin, live for what really matters, live your life in a focused way for the things that matter to the king and that matter to his kingdom. Are you living your life in such a way that is ready for his coming, knowing that he could walk through the door at any moment and we live lives that are worthy of him, not because we're afraid, not because we're trying to earn our salvation, but because we love him and we want to be found ready for the king. So friends, Jesus Christ is reigning. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is necessary news for our lives, for hope, for our world. This is problematic news because no one can withstand it. And yet this is good news because the judge who is coming has been judged in our place. So as we come to this table now, friends, and celebrate this amazing meal together, let's look back and remember the way that Jesus took our judgment. uh, And let's look ahead as we anticipate that the one who's been judged in our place is coming again and we will feast with him in Zion, sitting at table when he finally heals and restores creation and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Let's pray. We do thank you, Lord God, that there is a judgment and that we are not living a meaningless journey without a destination, but that there is a conclusion coming in which Jesus will heal and restore all things. Thank you that he has been judged in our place, and therefore that day for us can be a day of joy. Help us to taste that right now in this meal. In Jesus' name, amen.